good evening. It is good to be here tonight. I'm nervous. Can't help it. It's just uh, just coming back home. I just am that way. I'm not nearly so nervous in, in the pulpit where I pastor, but I am tonight. Have been all day. We dismissed this morning. I had a little joke, but I try not to joke around too much in the pulpit, so I'll just let that slide. But it involved Brother Pruitt and a few other gentlemen. But I'll tell you this. <clears throat> we left... Sand Springs this morning, we dismissed, we left, we headed this way, and, and before I got here, Brother Pruitt texted me and said, Brother Goodson preached a marvelous message this morning, and I was like, amen, and then I got over here, and the first, first people I greeted were Brother Greg Chapman, Brother Warren Chapman, and they just laid in about the message this morning, <laughs> then Brother Johnny Wilder got involved, and this evening, Brother Brian Jenkins got involved, you know Brother Pruitt, he didn't let it go all afternoon long, and I said, Brother... I said, I'm already nervous. I don't need any more help. But he just kept on and on and on. But I'm just going to give you something on my heart tonight. Uh, it is good to be here. And God does know what he's doing. It's amazing the way he pieces our lives together. Uh, just sitting there. Uh, when... Miss Angie hit the first note, just brought back so many memories. One of the finest piano players around. Uh, and uh, just listening to the singing, the congregations, and then Brother Jackson singing with his family, all the memories just came back. But, uh, God put me here when I needed you. And my family needed you. <laughs> I hate it. <clears throat> I hate getting this way, but Miss Misty, those boys love Hayden like a sister. She's been good to them. They needed charity. I needed charity. And now God has seen fit to move us on, but I love y'all. Always will love you. And I appreciate you. Turn your Bible tonight to Philemon. Uh, now don't turn me off because we're going to Philemon. I know I spent some time in the book of Philemon when I was here, but uh, it's, it's, it's new, it's fresh. It's not the same old, same old. Uh, we preached through the book of Colossians last year. Started the second Sunday, I believe, of January, and we finished up the third Sunday of this January, and it just felt natural to roll from Colossians into Philemon, their sister epistles. And so that's what we did. And uh, so, you know, you kind of preach where you've been living and studying. And that's where I am right now, back in the book of Colossians. But I'd like to share something with you. We're about halfway through it now. But there's something in these first few verses that I'd like to share with you tonight. The theme that I've themed this study on through, Col or through Philemon is going above and beyond. Because that's what Paul did. That's what Paul desired of Philemon. That was Paul's desire for Onesimus' life, though he was just a young Christian at the time. And is it also not what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us? He went above and beyond. It wasn't just Calvary. Thank God for Calvary. Don't misunderstand me. But it wasn't just salvation. My Lord protected me from my own stupid self long before he saved me. <laughs> then he saved me. 
And he's been patient and graceful with me every day since then. And one day he's going to take me home, just as the Jacksons sang about. One of these days when I go home, all the tears will be gone, all the sadness will be over with. The Lord has gone above and beyond in my life. And so that's what I believe the theme for Philemon is. I'd like to read verses 1 through 6. When you find your place, please stand. We'll read Philemon verses 1 through 6. Paying close attention to verse 4 tonight. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus. And if you make notes in your Bible, underline this statement. And toward all saints. Verse, verse 6. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Brother Aaron Chapman, would you lead us in prayer tonight, please? Yes. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot we could look at tonight. There's a lot mentioned in these verses that lead to the effect, the, uh, what Paul calls in verse 6, of him becoming effectual. Uh, there's his faith, there's his love, there's many other things. But tonight I'd like to look at what, uh, what I want to call developing a family or a family attitude of prayer. We talk about prayer. We mention prayer all the time. We, Wednesday nights, we take a prayer request list. We call out names, people write them down. But do we pray like we ought to pray? The Bible says here in our text that Paul is in a continual state of prayer in verse 4. Uh, we should take aim that our prayer life resembles that of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's an amazing Christian, probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. And so we should take aim that our prayer life goes above and beyond, just like that of the Apostle Paul. How can we, in our prayer life, how can it, it be manifest in a way that goes above and beyond? We talk about prayer all the time, but do we really pray like we ought to pray biblically? I'd like to look at that tonight and ask that question. We'll look at three points. First off is in prayer. If we're going to start a prayer life, you have to be in prayer. You can't, you can't have a prayer life without praying. You say, Brother Chris, I stink at prayer. That's all right. Everybody does when they start. The more you grow and the more you pray, the better you'll be at praying. Don't worry about that. God will work those things out. You just have to pray. Paul spends much of his time in prayer. Look at verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Notice he says, I thank my God. A good place to start in a prayer life is with thankfulness. Thankfulness. God loves a thankful heart. God loves a thankful people. There are seven types of prayer in Scripture. There's supplication prayers. There's, uh, there's, there's prayers of intercession. Uh, one of those prayers in the Scriptures is a prayer of thanksgiving. And, but, but really every prayer should start with thanksgiving. Uh, and I generally do. I'll start with some sort of thanksgiving when I open a prayer 
uh, whether it be public or private, because God loves that thankful attitude from one of His children. I mean, think about the people that you deal with every day, whether it be at work or your family or your children. How much more apt are we to do something for someone that is thankful for that? Well, that's the way we are naturally. Now, thank God He doesn't do everything the way we do. But God loves a thankful child, just like you love your child being thankful. If you were to give your child something, and they just turn around and walk away, of course, we're in here in the South, so we like to teach manners and decency, but that is biblical. Uh, what do you say? What did you say? Nothing. So, no, you better go around and say thank you. Uh, that's the way we are, and that's the way we raise our children. That's the way we ought to be with God. We ought to start a prayer with thanksgiving because God loves a thankful spirit and a thankful heart. Some 36 times in New Testament Scripture, Paul wrote in one way or another about being thankful. Being thankful. That was just Paul. That's not counting the other uh, Peter and John and all the others. That was just Paul 36 times in New Testament Scripture. He said, I believe he's the writer of Hebrews, he said in Hebrews 13, 15, By Him, therefore, let us offer sacri- the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. The sacrifice of praise to God continually giving thanks. That ought to be the attitude of every child of God. Brother Chris, I'm facing something that's just really got me burdened and got me down. Are you born again? You can start there as God taking care of you. If He's taking care of you up to this point, chances are good He's going to take care of you from this point on as well. God wants His people to be thankful, and we should be thankful people. Then He says, making mention of thee. Paul calls Philemon out by name to God. Could you imagine what that would be like? The great Apostle Paul calling your name out to the Heavenly Father. Uh, it must be, it must have been something tremendous. We don't know to this point that, that Paul and Philemon had ever met face to face. We believe that, uh, that the pastor of the church of Colossae, that church actually started probably, probably by him hearing Paul preach. And then he went back home to Colossae and he began to witness and began to tell people about Jesus Christ. People were converted right and left and then they started a church. So we don't know that Paul ever met Philemon face to face, not at this point anyway. But yet, he's heard of his name, and he's calling that name out to God. Uh, we, we take prayer requests on Wednesday night. We prayed for Jeffrey Redd, who was a police officer in Memphis, who was shot in the head and who has now passed away this week. But I never met him, didn't know him, but prayed for him. We don't have to know every person in every situation in order to pray for them. Uh, But Paul really doesn't, all he knows of Philemon is what he hears. What word gets back to him. We know uh, Tychicus and Epaphras, these these men are going back and forth. Onesimus, uh, no doubt when Onesimus was in prison with Paul, he talked about Philemon and maybe even what was going on at the church at Colossae. And and, and Paul, when he he sent Onesimus back, he probably said, uh, you you take this letter back to Philemon, but you tell brother so-and-so, I said, hey, too. Tell sister so-and-so, I'm praying for her too. There's no doubt that he sent, that word was sent like that. But he had never met this man face to face. Yet he prayed for him every day, every opportunity. 
Do you think Philemon was the only person that Paul prayed for in this church? Absolutely not. He probably called every one of those believers out by name that he knew. Uh, maybe it had been a while before somebody, uh, since somebody had brought him word from the church at Colossae. And now Onesimus is in prison and Onesimus says, Yeah, uh, Bill got saved a couple weeks ago. Paul probably wrote Bill's name down. New convert. Started praying for him. Paul prays for every believer in this church. Every believer that he knows of, every situation that he knows of, and even prays for folks when he don't know the situations. But that's the kind of prayer life that Paul had. And then he said, always in my prayers. That means every time he prayed. He prayed for Philemon every time he prayed. And he probably prayed for every other Christian that he knew of every time he prayed. Say, prove it. Well, Romans chapter 1 verse 9 says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. That's the church at Rome. Paul prays for every person in the church at Rome every time he prays. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. We could go on through Colossians 1, chapter 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. That's five churches right there that Paul prays for every time he prays. You think he's not praying for the rest of those believers too? I just couldn't imagine how much time Paul spent in prayer every day, Brother Barrett unreal amounts of time in prayer. How much time do you spend in prayer? That's convicting, isn't it? It's sobering to think about. Brother Chris, Paul was in jail. What else has he got to do? Well, we know he's ministering to his uh, his, uh, jail keepers because we know the Philippian jailer was saved in his family through Paul and Silas' ministry. So we know that he was witnessing to all of those folks. We know that he was writing scriptures. Uh, most of the scriptures that he penned through the Holy Spirit were while he was in jail. And yet he had time to pray for all of these saints and all of these churches all of the time. Isn't it amazing the prayer life that Paul had? We need to aim our prayer life to the prayer life, to mock, uh, to mimic, to, and to be like the prayer life of Paul. Secondly, not, in, not just in prayer, but in Christ. Look at the folks that Paul mentions in this text. He mentions uh, Timothy in verse 1, Philemon in verse 1, Apphia in verse 2, Archippus in verse 2, Onesimus in verse 10, Epaphras in verse 23, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, and Lucas in verse 24. Now, look at the terminology that he uses to describe these people. Uh, He uses terminology like our brother and our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Verse 2, he says, our beloved and fellow soldier. Verse 10, he calls Onesimus, my son. Uh, Then he says in verse 17, a partner. Verse 20, a brother. Verse 24, fellow laborers. 
Now these are endearing ways that he's describing these people, but these aren't just regular people. These are family members. They're not related by blood, but they're related spiritually by blood. They're family members. These are a special group of people because they're Christians. They're all believers, just like he is. They're all a part of the family of God. We used to sing that song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Well, it's not just me. We've got brothers and sisters all over this building. Brothers and sisters all over this state. Brothers and sisters all over this world. Uh, We ought to pray for those especially that are in Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Pray for the lost folks. But we should spend as much time witnessing the lost folks as we do praying for lost folks. If you'll go back and look at the Scriptures and look at Paul's prayer life, Paul prayed for believers, but he preached to lost folks. Go back and look at it. He prayed for believers. How earnestly would you pray for a sibling or a parent that was going through something in an accident or sick or ill? Brother, uh, I'll use you, Brother Chapman, if that's okay. Uh, Brother Chapman sent out a text last week to pray for his mother. Had uh, uh, sugar problems. Uh, We say, we return the message, praying for your mother. Love you, I'm sorry, praying for you. And that's, that's great. We should respond in that manner so that he knows. But my question is this. How many actually stopped and prayed? Not only that, but here's the point about developing a, a prayer life concerning the family. Is we're not to just pray for her as his mother. We're to pray for her as my mother. You're to pray for her as your mother. When Paul is getting to developing a family of prayer here, he's, he's, he's talking about these believers and mentioning all these believers because we are in the family of God. And when we pray for somebody, we're to pray for them like that's our brother or our sister. Because if they're saved, they are our brother. They are our sister. And that's the attitude of prayer that we ought to have when we pray for folks. I remember years ago, my mother had, uh, had some blood clots. She had some other issues that she was in the hospital for, but she developed some blood clots. And uh, I've never been, I'd never been in there prior to this, but there's a little room off to the side, the ICU, and when it's time, they call the family in that room. And uh, that's, that's where we ended up that day. Uh, it wasn't early in the morning. It was about mid-morning. My sister, myself, and my dad were called into that room and the doctor came in and he said, it's time. Unless God intervenes, it's time. Now that'll change your prayer life. But I'm to pray for my brother's mother the same way I prayed for my own mother. That's what Paul's getting at here. James chapter 5 tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent is boiling over. It's serious. Just can't hold it in. I've got to stop and pray. That's what what kind of prayer 
God's looking for. That's the kind of prayer that gets God's attention. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That gets God's attention. Not, oh Lord, would you bless them? And then move on about your day. It means when there's tears to be shed, you shed tears. It means when there's rejoicing for some blessing, you rejoice. How many times have you heard uh, uh, Brother Merritt say, we rejoice with you, brother, or we rejoice with you, sister? We are a family, and that's the way our prayer life ought to be. It ought to resemble that of a family. And then lastly, in living, and I'll be real quick with this, and then I'll dismiss. No doubt that Paul is praying for Philemon in his walk. We know that Philemon's praying for him as well, if you look uh, in verse 22, the Bible says, But with all, pray for, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through what? Your prayers I shall be given unto you. So Paul's praying for Philemon. Philemon's also in turn praying for Paul. But Paul is praying for him, but Paul is also doing something else. Because Paul is about to ask something very difficult of Philemon. Uh, We see there in verse 21, Paul says, Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. Paul is praying for Philemon, but Paul is also watching Philemon. But not in the way that most Christians watch folks today. Most Christians watch folks today because they want to see them fail. They want to see them stumble. Oh, look at here. We're going to take bets on when he's going to stumble. No, that's not why Paul's watching. The text tells us why Paul's watching. Paul is watching because he's, he's really he's asking something very, very difficult of Philemon. And Philemon is, is a, it must have been a stand-up man and an excellent Christian. Uh, Onesimus, for example, is a newborn Christian. He's here. Philemon is here. He's, he's a, he's a stand-up, faithful, dependable Christian. But Paul's asking him to go here. But the text tells us in verse 21 while Paul is watching him. He's not watching him to see him fail. He's watching him to see the more. (laughs) He's asking Philemon to go this far, but he's fully expecting Philemon to go further than he's asking him to go. Paul is watching to see the more in Philemon. But there's somebody else watching. Don't forget that this church meets in Philemon's house. So there's other Christians that are watching what Philemon's doing as well. They know him. They respect him. No doubt he's a fantastic Christian. But these other Christians in this church are watching him. And not only is Paul watching to see the more, but they're watching to learn the more. Because when he goes further... You ever had somebody go through something and you've watched them and, and God's brought them through it and they, they kept their testimony the whole time? They didn't, they didn't get bitter at God. They didn't get bitter at the church. They, they came through it. And what did that cause you to do? 
that caused you, when you face something, to say, if God did that for him, or God did that for her, just imagine what God can do for me. But there's a third group of people watching, and that's the folks outside the church. Colossae was not all that big of a town, so you know word spread. When Onesimus left, I believe he, he either took money to pay for his journey, or he stole something valuable and sold it. The problem is he got caught. Uh, some believe that, that, that he was a Christian before he left and that he sought out Paul because he wanted some wisdom and he wanted some advice. I don't believe that. Paul says in the text there, uh, he said in verse 10, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. I believe Onesimus was lost when he left Colossae. And he got thrown into jail because he was a runaway slave. Uh, when they asked him for his ID, he said, well, I don't have any ID because I'm a slave. They said, off to jail with you, buddy, Roe. Just so hap, amen. <laughs> and he got thrown in prison with Paul. Paul leads him to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, word is spread around Colossae about what Onesimus has done. All the old men sitting around the coffee table, you know, down at the convenience store, they're probably talking about Onesimus. You know, Sorry, no good slave. Uh, he, he deserves whatever he's got coming to him. But then one day, Onesimus walks by the door. <laughs> Who was that? That was Onesimus. I can see a guy run to the front door. Yep, that's him. Come on. Come on. Let's go see where he's going. He's headed to Philemon's house. The outside world will watch us fail so that they can point fingers at Jesus Christ. Say, you know what, their Christianity isn't everything it's cracked up to be. So you know this drew a crowd when Onesimus comes walking through town, heading up the road to Philemon's house. But how was he greeted when he got to Philemon's house? Paul's watching to see the more. The church is watching to learn the more. But the world's watching, and they'll experience the more. Because when they see Christ in us and they come to church or they read their Bible or they go to a meeting somewhere, they'll say, that person's the real deal. And if God can do those things in their life, he can do it in my life. And they'll experience the more through salvation. Developing a family of prayer, a family attitude of prayer. It all started through prayer, prayers. Paul praying for this man who was already a stand-up Christian. But he was praying that he would go the more. Church, we need to develop a family attitude of prayer. That's going to make the difference. Don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything from the Word. I'm not taking away anything from meeting in church. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But I'm afraid we've gotten to the point where our prayer life is more of a request line to God rather than a heartfelt love for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And that will make the difference in us, in our brothers and sisters, and in a lost world. Brother Mary.